Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hi, this is Mimi with Fruition, and the podcast you're listening to is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Sign up for the newsletter at OsirisPod.com to stay in the loop.
Hey everybody, it's RJ from HF Pod. We're going to get into a review of all four nights of Vegas with our guest Brian. Uh, just a quick heads up, he was at the airport traveling back from Vegas. There, The first five minutes or so, there's some background casino airport noise, but uh, it gets cleared up pretty quickly. So just wanted to give you a heads up about that. And want to let you know that we'll be back in two weeks with, a, with another episode. We're going to do some sort of back to basics hf pod um in between you know the end of fall tour and the beginning of the new year's run so we hope that everyone's enjoying what they're hearing and send us thoughts feedback etc give us a review on apple Podcasts if you haven't yet um we look forward to hearing from you and thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoy this conversation and the music that we have here with revving up vegas so thanks again keep on rocking Hey everybody, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is a quick, quick-ish hit. Um, I'm talking with Brian Brinkman from Beyond the Pond, who is calling in from the Las Vegas airport on his way home after four nights in Vegas. How you doing, Brian? Hey, RJ. Thanks for having me on, man. Um, I am doing fantastic right now. Yeah, so we're going to run through each each of the four shows. We're going to do a little bit of uh, you know discussion and then play some clips from each night. And Brian, we got to see the first two shows um, somewhat together. We, we saw each other after the shows and, and in between the, the second night. But the first night was a um, pretty crazy show, obviously, with the cover, but... But also, like the, we should talk about the first and third sets too, because there was a lot of, um, a lot of long jams and a lot of sort of, you know, interesting song selections and stuff. I mean, it, we talked about this a little bit on our couch report on the morning of 11 1, which I can link to. But, um, what was your take on the first and third sets before you go through the second set? So, this was my first Halloween show. Um, and my first time at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, last time I'd seen Fish and Vegas was 04, which I think you and I both shared that. Yeah. And, uh, man, that was um, a very different one. <laughs> <laughs> um, first and third set, so I kind of had a feeling of what to expect going in. I'd seen a couple of New Year's shows, and um, I'd listened, obviously, to all the Halloween shows in the past. And, you know, the first set for Halloween always seems to go wildly between, like, your... 103195 or 1031 2010 where they really try to like up the Halloween theme and your 1031 2013 where like they're obviously have a lot to get off their chest and they're a little bit nervous going into the second set and it's just a little bit more subdued. And I thought this was a little bit of a mix between the two of those. Um, I was really happy to catch a buried alive. I think it was only the third time I'd ever seen that. Uh, I thought Ghost got into a really beautiful, soaring, blissful jam almost immediately and yeah. proved to kind of be the first, you know, legitimate jam of the run. Um, I liked the segue into Crazy sometimes and like to see them playing around in unique spots for Paige and Mike songs just because they kind of always seem to be like slotted in there. It was good to have it like be a flowing part of the set. Um, Haley's, the jam out of Haley's, I'm always looking for a second jam Haley's. I thought that was really good. It was really um, good. That was a solid Haley's. Yeah, I um, I mean, I need to go back and maybe really listen to that. The, the thing I've listened to the most from this show was set two, which we'll get into. But, yeah. Um, I remember really liking it. And, and even Oslo, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an Oslo lover, man. I have no problems with it. Like the closest thing I've ever heard from Fish to uh, The Grip of Dead. And um, I yeah. just like had a very Groovy, groovy swing to it. Um, 
I loved it. Um, and the first two to close out with the curtain dropping. I mean, I thought at the end of the first set, there was good energy, there was some good jams. Perhaps the set list could have been a little bit more above the top, but I also felt like that was a reflection of they've got this huge second set lined up and they kind of just want to, like, ease into that. Yeah. Yeah. And the third set, I mean, there was some great jamming in the third set, including, of course, the Set Your Soul Free and a Tweezer and a song I Heard the Ocean sing. Those are great little segment. I think we heard that was sort of a theme throughout the weekend was just a lot of really big, long jams. I think there was, um, you know, like a 20-minute jam all, all four nights or close to 20 anyway, um, which was pretty cool to see. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, I go to Fish now, you know, for... Obviously, I love the, the friends I get to see there. I love the vibe of the shows. I love the way that everything just kind of moves and flows on a night-to-night basis. But for me, I mean, the biggest walk away from a, a show is going to be, um, you know, improvisation that takes me on kind of a musical journey, takes the crowd with them, and I thought every single night had something like that. And the song I heard the ocean sing, man, like Trey was just looking up the crowd page side and just like soaring on his guitar and it mm-hmm. ended up being a huge theme that we would get over the next three nights um he put so much into building you know very thematic riffs beautiful melodies into just a totally peaking jam that happened over and over and over again and that was kind of the first moment where i was like oh my god trey's on right now yeah yeah. And so, well, Brian, let, we don't have to, I mean, I think there's been tons of talk about the second set in terms of whether people thought it was great or, or, or not great. And, um, I was surprised and confused the whole time and laughing and, um, but, but I've gone back now and listened to that set, I don't know, three or four times. And, um, there's like some, there's two or three songs that I think are, are worth hearing again, you know, and, and, and it was very entertaining, but super weird. I mean, I'm just curious your, your take on like the enduring legacy of that set and, and any other thoughts you have on it? Sure. Um, it's probably the most excited I've been about something that Fish has done since I would say Dix 2012. Um, just in the sense that it really feels like a new step forward for the band. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to talk down in any way about the Baker's Dozen because I think that that was an amazing, amazing moment. But I feel if there's any slight thing I could say, and I know I'm stepping on very, very hallowed ground here, <laughs> so that felt like um, uh, an achievement reached, and it felt like a celebration of everything that Fish had done to that point, mm-hmm. whereas this felt like another turn to the future mm-hmm. and um, I felt that same way walking out of Dick's 2012 where it was like okay we rediscovered how to communicate improvisationally and that's putting them in a position going forward that means we're in for some really exciting and challenging music going forward and, and we were in 2013 2015 2017 I kind of had a feeling going into 2018 that we needed another moment like that and I didn't know where it was going to come and for much of the summer I didn't think it was going to come that was the moment where I felt like they've shifted into the future. Um, I loved the zaniness of the lyrics. You know, I, I loved that we were getting back in the fish territory where the songs kind of have like this mindless absurdity to them, but then like you get these little wormholes of lines, you know, um, this is what space smells like. Mm-hmm. We have come to out, we are, we are come to outlive our brains. Um, you know, death don't hurt very long. I mean, these like song titles and, and riffs and lines in the songs that like, I heard everybody singing and screaming. I heard the band singing and screaming along to in various jams. 
the next three nights. I mean, I think that there's just something in these songs that is going to take us forward with Fish in a really profound and interesting way. I'm very excited to see how they develop it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The Say to Me Santos is sort of the the crown jewel, I think, of it, just because of the goofiness and the lyrics and the re- re- repetition of it. You know, um, that's the one that my kid. That's the one that Miles is already singing over and over. So that's that's the way I can tell that. You know, <laughs> so so, so I, I, I took my dad to the show and mm-hmm. um, he was blown away by the whole. Oh my God! Is this is this a band that I've never heard of? To oh my God, they actually wrote this and they tricked everyone. Holy crap! And then during Santos, he was like standing, arms raised, screaming out. Um, I will always remember where I was. Like, you, you get it. You get it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so that's <happy>. awesome. <laughs> so, so if we're gonna play a, a little clip here for the first night before we move on to the second, what should we listen to? You think we should listen to a jam from the the third set or or play some of one of the cover songs? Um, I'm going to go with one of my cover songs. Cool. Uh, I really love the song, We Are Come to Outlive Our Brains. Cool. Um, <laughs> and I loved how they how they worked it into um, Harry Hood and 11-1. Mm-hmm. And it's just the song that's really stuck with me so much. So I, I'd love to hear, hear that a little bit. Okay, we're going to get into that. And I, I will tell people that if they want to hear more about like peop- our thoughts on you know the set itself you should check out the couch report video that we did from the brooklyn bowl because um we had a long conversation and i think the biggest takeaway is just like fish did it did something crazy again you know and they continue to surprise us and the fact that they covered a fake album from a band they made up which basically just means they wrote a new album it's just insane man so let, let's listen to a little bit of that um song now So we are come to outlive our brains, Brian. So thank you for helping us discover that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Brian, one thing I thought was interesting: we got to see this this show together, and where we were together, and we were then we were apart, as as happens. Um, yeah, we we talked before about like some bust outs, and I think the the last two nights had more bust outs. This show, like almost really didn't have any besides like a 40 show gap for i've been around but there's there's a lot of stuff here that we'd heard in in 2018 a lot um but that didn't really take away from from the show because of the way it started man that everything's right jam was i don't remember how long exactly but really strong start in daisy dc bag which was just really good one two combo to get get the show started the energy was just I felt like the energy was maybe a little bit clearer that night because people weren't yeah. focused on the Halloween thing. Did did you feel that? I did. I did. I mean, I have like two immediate thoughts about that show that really stuck out to me. I mean, number one, and I wrote about this a little bit in the review I wrote for Fish.net. Is, yeah, which we'll um, link to that too. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, 11 one shows, they're very rare. I think they've only played four or five of them in their career. And um, 
the only other date I can compare them to is New Year's Day, and there's just this, like, release from the two big fish holidays whenever they play a show on those dates. Um, I think that 11-1 is really interesting, though, because you see them immediately picking up and using these sounds that they've been toying around with in rehearsals and in sound checks. However, you know, whenever they're writing these songs, um, but they're not really employing them. Um, well, if they are, they're in subtle ways that we don't really understand at the time. So I always feel like on November 1st, they, they, they feel this like freedom um, to like make new music in a way. And um, I felt that immediately with the Everything's Right. The, the other thing I thought was, to your point, no, not a lot of bust outs that night. Um, one thing I'd asked for uh, before the tour started, I kind of put it out on Twitter, was um, I want to see them really focus on exploring new songs. And that's part of the reason I love this new record so much is because it's new, new songs to continue exploring. Now. I think that that's the avenue forward for Fish. Mm-hmm. Um, to get everything's right, to go big in the immediate you know, first slot of the show, but then the second set to open up with a 20-minute blaze on, um, a really excellent contained but somewhat exploratory uh, No Man in No Man's Land, and then Fuego, all three of those in a row, in a row to kick off the, the second set. I mean, that to me is Fish embracing this new songwriting and using those songs in the biggest spots for their fan base. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And that's that was so clear from the Everything's Right opener. Um, yeah. All those jams were so good. And, and Trey has loved Twist this tour. That was only a two-show gap between... They played it the, the last night in Chicago and then the second night in in Vegas. So they were yeah. they've been playing it a lot, and I think maybe two or three other times on the tour. So they're he's he's loving to go into that. But this was a pretty good and long version. It wasn't like I was sort of expecting that night to be kind of like one of those Saturday shows or second night shows where it's like Trey's just trying to find find a groove and keeps going into different songs after six or seven minutes. Right, right, right. right? But that didn't really happen here. Yeah, that twist got into, um, it was like a demented carousel for a second. It was so bizarre. <laughs> like, whatever Paige was doing on the organs, and they had this, like, driving beat. And I, I really thought for a, for a small second, when Trey got to the microphone and started singing, uh, that they were going into Catapult. And, oh, and yeah, I got yeah, yeah. pretty excited for that because we haven't heard that in a long, long time. But um, I still loved where the jam went. I mean, it was, it was original. It was very fresh. And um, it was kind of one of those fish moments where you're like, what in the hell are they doing right now? And I love that sort of stuff. Like, that that just kind of, like, keeps me on my toes throughout the show. And then to go into Cassidy and come back out, I mean, second time, it's been a sandwich twist in two shows, basically. I mean, that's kind of rare and unique as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, the the hood, the, just close the second set, very, like, you know, not not traditional hood, but really, really nice and a really good jam in that hood. I felt like the energy of this show from the band was, was kind of, it just never really let up. Yeah, I feel like this show, um, it uh, it had an incredibly solid set list. I don't think there's a lot of moments that you could really complain about, even like a bouncing in the late you know, part of the second set. I couldn't really complain about it because it just was a little needed to take a deep breath at that point. Yeah, I loved that. I loved uh, that break. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was really, I mean, it was, it was nice. It was, um, it was like a palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. Um, that Harry Hood really reminded me of... Um, a lot of the excellent versions we got from 2014 mm-hmm. um, when they were just jamming it like crazy. Um, I mean, stepping back into the first set, you know, Chalk Dust Torture coming in a slot where it could very easily just, you know, rock for seven minutes and we move on to the next song. And it sounded like it was going to. I mean, I think that they finished the song and yeah. then went into 
They totally it's a finished really it. Really remarkable yeah. jam segment. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. You're right, and that was it. it totally felt like they were finishing it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. And the the contact. I mean, it might have just been my state of mind, but like, I thought that was so cool. Like they were, they were so. I don't know. They just everyone just seemed so happy. You know, the band, the audience. It was it was a nice like like you said sort of release from the night before and the contact with everyone waving. It was just. It was really cool, and I actually thought the you mentioned this in the review, the rise come together. I thought that was a pretty good second second song closer. It was, um, you know, unexpected, but I really like that. I really like that song, and Trey obviously enjoys playing it. Yeah, I think it. Um, it just comes. It sounds like um, kind of a late era Beatles song in a lot of ways, and um, I love the riff that goes into it. I like the peak on it. I mean, it. I've seen it now two or three times, and it's really grown on me, especially this tour. Um, I, I thought during contact and it was, it ties immediately back to the Halloween set, you know, contact to me felt like this, um, uh, connecting piece between these new, really bizarre, really zany fish songs. I mean, at the end of the day, contact is like as ridiculous of a song as any band could ever write and perform for 20,000 people, but it works every time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that kind of, you know, like th- these new songs feel in some cases in the spirit of that, you know, just like that fish sense of humor. Well, I think, I think someone might've mentioned this online, but maybe I was just thinking about it, but either way, if you think that like the songs from the second set of the first night were too weird and too goofy and like, you didn't like them and just, just think about it when you hear contact, you know? <laughs> yeah and then like you know cavern and um you know i was like 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 there were so many songs that came throughout the remainder of the of the run where i was like oh yeah this is like in the spirit of the the halloween set yeah that's a good point um that's a really good point in, in terms of the theme um so so brian what should we play from the second night there's a lot to choose from here yeah, I think I'm going to go with that twist. I, cool. I love that um, that jam segment where they kind of get this like weird, distorted, dystopian space, and then Train Mike Mike starts singing, and it's just it's beautiful and really bizarre and kind of everything I love from Fish. Sweet.
cool. Hope you guys enjoyed that twist. So we're going to jump to the third night now. Brian, you texted me after the third night, which I guess was yesterday, and said that this might have been one of the best shows you've ever seen. Now that you have 30 hours later and a little bit, <laughs> and, and, and another fish show under your belt, do you still feel that way about uh, about the third night, 11-2? A hundred percent. I think it, it might be the best. I mean, it, it um, had literally everything I've ever wanted from a fish show. Um, I've seen a lot of really good shows from them over the last couple of years. Um, so obviously time could change my immediate lust and infatuation, but <laughs> I think it will hold up. I mean, the crowd came out that night in a way that I've rarely seen. Um, the band responded with, you know, cavern opener is always a huge way to open it, to, to open a show so rare that they do it. And that song just brings so much energy. Um, if I could, you know, first time in over four years, my yeah. first time seeing it. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and that, like, when it started, you know, they got, like, a kind of applause, you know, just, like, throughout the room. And then it was as if everybody realized after, like, the first two lines, and there was this groundswell of, of, of cheers that went around the room. And I think, it, you know, the band really responded. I don't know if that came through on the webcast or on any of the tapes, but you could hear it as, you know, people re- recognized that we were hearing if I could. And, um, I love that moment. Sand, uh, back on the train were really, really classic, great peaking jams, great ways to keep the momentum going, even if they weren't as surprising as, you know, if I could, um, and then Mercury, I mean, I don't know if I need to reiterate it here, but I mean, Mercury is <laughs> my favorite song of three point. That's my favorite song that the band's written since sense and subtle sounds. And probably one of my favorite songs of the last 20 years. And one of my favorite first songs ever, and I'd never seen a 20-plus-minute first set jam. So to get that co- combined and to have them work as hard as they did for that jam was yeah. one of the most satisfying and just incredible things I've ever experienced with the band live. That's really cool. Yeah, it was. Um, it reminded me of like a multi-segment Chuck Dust Torture or something, the way it just yeah. continued to evolve. Yeah, it was like, um, even when it sounded like they were stopping and going into taste, once... Trey, you know, started playing the, the Nets Unbreakable line and kind of distorting that and moving into different keys. And then they built off of that. The jam just was just felt relentless. And I mean, it could have really kept going. There's a groove that they start up after it peaks for about the last minute and a half. And they decided to wind it down and go into Susie. But I mean, it was kind of just one of those moments where, and I'm, I'm not complaining about this. I have no complaints about it whatsoever. But it was one of those moments where it was like, they just couldn't stop. Like it just kept on going. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm glad you got it. And then the the Susie to close out the set was, you know, just you couldn't complain at that point as it's a nice, nice high energy closer. So so going into set break, you already knew that you were you'd seen, you know, one of your favorite shows. Um the second set was what, there were six songs, um, with like a sort of strangely placed mid set Gaiuti, but um a lot of jamming around that too. Yeah, I um, I feel like uh, the, the only kind of comparable shows I can make um, that I've seen are uh, 831.12 and 831.18 in terms of like set one finishes and you're like, I don't know if I even need a second mm-hmm, set. And then mm-hmm. the second set starts and you're like, holy crap, they continued on this level. They kept going and in some cases reached higher. Um, I mean, you had to know Soul Plant was coming. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it always leads to a big jam. And I thought the jam was fantastic. Uh, Down with Disease, I like that they've been 
I'm one to never complain about Adele and Aziz, but I like that they've been playing it less, if that makes sense. Um, just kind of keep people <laughs> yeah. guessing, uh, yeah, yeah, throwing yeah. some new, some other songs, you know? Yeah. Um, I, uh, um, I thought it got to a really cool jam segment. Oh, the Oye Komova jam was great, and what Kuroda was doing with the lights during that section, the whole place was going insane. Um, that was my first Gaiuti in uh, eight years. Oh, wow. And while I agree with you, I don't know if it exactly fit in that slot. I kind of throw it in there as like the Alaska slot in mm-hmm. um, the Fuck Your Face show that like, <laughs> I could have gone with another song, but like it's one of those nights I'm just going to let the band roll with it because yeah, they're yeah. on such a high. Of course, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Definitely, definitely some rust, but like I was excited to see it. And then the show ended with, um, I mean, Sneaking Sally, I thought was the biggest call of the night. At that point, they could have gone into something very standard, and they decided to keep it going. And you end it with Sally Light. Light just was relentless. Some of the best hose jamming, some of the best lead guitar playing i've heard from trey and all of 3.0 very reminiscent of the version from dicks this year as well as the undermine from dicks 2012 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous slave to close and then the encore was just like this solidification from the band and the crowd that yeah we just saw a great show like when trey told us that this felt like an old show i got like i just couldn't stop smiling like you know so it's moments like that that you're always searching for yeah, yeah, that's and it's to have the band acknowledge that too is is rare too. Yeah, it's so rare that they tell you that they like what they just did. Right, you right, know? right. Yeah, like so many nights they just like wave at you, say thanks, and then they walk up the stage. I mean, we got a thank you so fucking much from Fishman and a tray. You know, tonight feels like an old show. I mean, that's you want the band to feel that way as much as you want us to feel that way. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, and the and the first bike in three years, um, with some fishman yeah. fishman dancing. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting uh, a lot of interesting stuff in that show. I'm glad you enjoyed it. What should we should we play some of the Mercury? Yeah, why don't we do that? Kind of that jam when they uh, when they come back out of time. So there's some really good stuff in there. Cool. Oh, geez, Dad again oh happens all the time with old betsy have you checked out carvana yet they have thousands of cars for under twenty thousand dollars but do those thousands of cars have personality like old betsy betsy's held together by tape and there are raccoons living in the engine it's a family car uh there are flames on the hood Ah, custom paint job no dad the car's on fire how many cars did you say carvana had visit carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under twenty thousand dollars we'll drive you happy at carvana what is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
All right, guys, you heard ta- you heard Brian talk about the third night and and how much he loved it. I hope you enjoyed that, Mercury. If you hadn't heard it yet, um, the fourth night, another night of fish, crazy. Um, we had another <laughs> another big bust out um, from last night, Brian night four, but um, some other highlights as well. Um, how did you feel about last night compared to the other three, or, or just coming out of the the night before? Yeah. Um, so I realized that when I was in Vegas that this was my first four-night fish run since uh, New Year's 2012, and I was a much younger, not a dad yet, man. <laughs> right, right, right. So I could handle it. Uh, I, I, I was. I, I definitely found that like chilling out between like two and five o'clock in the afternoons was so critical. Taking a little bit of a nap, like to get yourself through it. So. I kind of went into the show probably, you know, a little burnt out, a little tired, but ready for whatever the band was going to do. Um, I was a little on the fence in terms of what it, they were going to come with because, you know, tour finales have been either really good in the last couple of years or kind of, you know, pedestrian and mediocre and, like, they try to almost play too much. Um, I felt like they came out the gates a little bit more low-key and a little bit more um, just kind of subdued than the night before. Um, or even, you know, 11-1. And um, I think after what they gave on November 3rd, I was totally understandable. Um, Rogay, you know, hit me immediately. That was really pretty. Um, the tube was really the first moment, though, in the show where I was like, okay, they're yeah. still searching for something. They're still searching for these, um, you know, very blissful uh, peaks. Um, you know, that to me was uh an overall highlight of the entire run and of the entire tour and i don't think i've ever heard a tube that's anything like that yeah yeah it was not not your average sort of jammed out tube which is a good thing i think um in the in the grand scheme of things but they have been jamming it out recently with the last two or three versions which is which is i know welcome for for a lot of people who've been waiting for that oh absolutely absolutely i mean i um the only version I can compare it to personally is the, uh, is the powdered night, uh, mm-hmm. uh, version. Just, it completely left the funk jam behind and somehow returned to it. I don't know how it did, but somehow it did. <laughs> and, um, what else in the first set? Cause you had, you had a pretty, like there were a lot of, sh- a lot of songs, um, which was sort of in contrast to the other nights in some ways, I guess. Um, the, the Mike's groove to, to close it out, but with the life boy in the middle is, um, that man who doesn't like want to hear a life boy yeah to get two rare hoist ballads back to back was uh, not something i was asking for nor expecting before i came into this run and um ended up being one of my favorite things about the run um i mean the mics was very contained compared to the nashville version but i thought it was um really really strong really high i mean mics is one of those songs that when it starts if you're in the venue, you're like, oh, I know exactly why this band plays this all the time, even if they don't explore it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the place just goes insane. Um, Life Boy was a really nice, you know, uh, come down a la I Am Hydrogen, but the added bonus that it was a, you know, we hadn't heard it in two years at that point. Um, I think it was my first time hearing it since Vegas 04, so that was really cool. Nice. Um, and then Week Fog is just like, I was thinking when I was, I was watching, you know, the, the first couple rows dancing during that, and there's a video on YouTube of the March 30th, 1992 version of Weekapog where they're playing in, like, some club in Columbia, Missouri. And, like, the bounce that the crowd has at that show was the exact same as the bounce at every other Weekapog that I've ever seen. And it's just, like, <laughs> one of those perfect, 
you know, little fish moments where everybody knows how to dance to it. Everybody's as happy as can be. And, um, I don't know. I loved it. So that's awesome. And the good way to, to obviously, you know, end the, end the first set. Um, yeah. And then the second set, the last set of the Fortnite run, um, you got a obviously a, a a great um combo a karini which is not super surprising that that seems to be like one of the go-tos now you know which yeah. which I, I would take a <laughs> over a um over a, a down with disease second set opener i'd take that any day um and in the 46 day there was according to you know the fish fish.net set list no no pauses between any songs in the second set karini 46 days yeah, since yeah, cross-eyed yeah. 2001 possum melt so you mentioned sense and subtle sounds before i i don't know um exactly i think this is probably in the top two or three longest versions um or maybe maybe not it was only 15 minutes right but it was it was up there at least since um since the return too yeah, I think it was uh, it was up there with the man as the longest since the return. Since the return, uh, okay. man, twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. I think there were there was a Deer Creek, um, uh, Camden, and uh, another Camden uh, versions from two thousand three and two thousand four that were longer. But I thought this was the most exciting version that they've played since they returned. I, I love, and this is absolutely no disrespect to the version that was played at the man in twenty fifteen. Unbelievable jam. Um, I just thought that this. I mean, to have Sense and Subtle Sounds go into a, you know, modulate and then go into this, like, blissful peak jam that had nothing to do with the Sense and Subtle Sounds theme and then go unfinished in the cross side, um, I was fully locked into that. That was as good as anything that was played the previous two nights. Yeah, so did did you um, did you feel like that was sort of the peak of the set, or how did you feel like the set kind of unfolded? I thought it was a really interesting set in the sense that... Um, you know, there was a sense like they go into 2001 and Possum, which are, again, similar to Mike's. Like, if you see those songs live or like Character Zero, you're like, oh, yeah, I get why the band plays this, mm-hmm, even if it mm-hmm, doesn't come mm-hmm. through fully on the webcast or when you're listening back. Um, I thought those were great. I thought, like, you know, we were in for, like, a kind of standard wind down, as I've seen a lot in, like, tour closers in the last few years. Um, to have them then go into Split Open and Melt, which I fully expected Possum to close that set and the split open and melt do what it did um, and go into as blissful and gorgeous of a period of music as you've heard from that song. Um, that that was probably my overall set highlight and may have been one of the top two or three highlights for me of the entire run. Nice. That's awesome. That that um, They had another amazing... Um, amazing long and winding split open and melt um this tour but but they don't you know and i think that was to close out the the second set as well um right that was just a few shows yeah yeah oh, no, th- yeah that's uh, where i was there Hampton right. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that yeah. was awesome <laughs> i mean this this added to a very <laughs> um hot a very hot year for split up and melt i mean the gorge had an incredible version i think camden had a really solid version hampton i might be forgetting another one but um then this version to close out you know at least the touring portion of the year um yeah, the gorge. Yeah, the gorge one was great was, too, but but there's the yeah, gorge was there's there's not that was, many um, of them. It's a song that I feel like has been really controversial and really like uh, heavily explored by the band throughout 
all of 3.0 and I'm really happy that they've been able to push through what like were just kind of wall of sound and dissonant jams in 2009, 10, 11, 12, even into 13. Um, this for me joined um, stock 2013, uh, 7-6-2013 as the most interesting version that's been played in all 3.0. That's awesome. The that's the um the one you're talking about is the spec one, right? Yeah, spec yeah. set one closer. Yeah, that I love that one. Yeah, that yeah, was I do too. Really cool. And um the the this song has not been played in the first set since 2016, which is wow. um kind of crazy to think about. But um so you get a long a long sense, and I think um you know one of the longest sense of of 3.0, and then one of the longest and craziest melts of of 3.0 and and then there's all this other stuff happening too it's like it it seemed like they were they probably didn't i know the trey mentioned the night before right that they didn't want the the run to end or maybe that was the show we were at on the first one of those nights he said we wish this tour could go on forever <laughs> which is yeah which, probably felt like yeah, it right? your, fan, your fan base does too yeah exactly so <laughs> so brian what we can we can let people um you know off the hook here on on a jam which which you should tell us what to play for the last one. And then um, before we go to the music, though, I, I think we should get your takeaway on, you know, the whole run. Any couple thoughts that you have on sort of the the overall run and, and sort of how this leaves 2018 before we get into the New Year's run? Yeah, I think um, I mean, I think it was in, I think it was a very, 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 very high quality run. I think um, the only other run I've ever attended that this can compare to is uh, the only other runs I would say is Dick's 2012 Magna Ball and the second weekend of the Baker's Dozen. And I'm inclined to say that this was the best of them all from a musical output, from a shock value, from overall band playing. I mean, I just, I feel very grateful to have experienced these last four nights with the band and um, to have seen them really push themselves and evolve. And I mean, I think going back to what we were talking about uh, um, for the 1031 show, the thing that gets me most excited right now is I, I think that they turned a corner towards whatever the future holds for them. And, you know, yeah. more than anything else in this, you know, almost 10 year 3.0 incarnation of the band, I just want them to continue pushing forward. Um, you know, I, a show like Halloween and a run like this reinforces to me that, I don't think they're breaking up anytime soon. I don't think they're going to take a break anytime soon. I think that they're still creatively energized and I think it shows. Um, so I'm just very excited, very filled, very filled with a ton of gratitude, very happy. I met and saw a bunch of really good people this weekend and I got four days away from normal life and uh, <laughs> responsibilities yeah. that was very, very needed. So on the whole, I'm just, uh, I'm on a high about, kind of what i just experienced and what i what i feel like the band just experienced as well and the whole community itself yeah for sure and it's an interesting place vegas is just a weird weird city but um fish seems yeah, to have have really great <laughs> for with the exception of the 20, 2004 shows really great a track record at vegas um they do which they do. and I, th- I assume that they're you know they're they're not staying you know in the same place as we are and i assume they get some time downtime and they chill with their families by the pool and the things you were talking about to recharge and all that because it seems like they were they enjoy it there it's not like it's a uh, too overwhelming for them but um so one thing i just uh, i, I want to add to what you said i agree with you and i think yeah. the um 
you know, if you had told me like when I was at the Hampton 2009 shows that, you know, nine years later, I would see a Halloween show that would be like the basically the third original album that they had written in five years and that they would, you know, cover a fake album of new songs. I, there's there's no way I would have believed you. You know, I, I thought that they would no. come back and play a few years and like, you know, become a become sort of a legacy act. And it's incredible. 35 years in their career that they're like actually kind of hitting creative peaks. I mean, you can say what you will about the songs and, you know, they probably aren't like the best songs they've written, but the create creative peak in terms of just the imagination and the, the balls to do it, you know, the desire to spend that time together and like that time working through ideas and shelving bad ideas or shelving ideas that don't work for now and, you know, crafting a song together and then, you know, having this thematic backstory. I mean, that's not just, that's not your everyday, you know, rock and roll band in 2018. And, you know, that's why I referenced Dick's 2012 so much in our conversation because mm-hmm. that was the mm-hmm. moment in those first four years of 3.0 where it was like, okay, they're no longer going to be a, res- a, a legacy act. Like, they really want to push forward and see what they can do when they're ready to step up their game. And, and, and that had so many of the fan base, you know, so excited about what was next. And we saw 2013, you know, that fall tour was incredible. Uh, we got a new album out of that. We got, you know, 2015 was such a joyous year, such a joyous tour, Magnaball, um, you know, and then the Baker's Dozen, you know, all these like big peaks that came that I think are directly tied to that turn that they made, that shift in late 2012. You know, yeah. who knows what we're going to be talking about over the next five, six years here with Fish. Right. Um, but I've got to imagine it's all directly tied to kind of this moment. I mean, I, I, I feel like this was a big shift and a next step forward for the band. And I hope I'm not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad you got to see all these shows and I will, um, yeah. you know, I will welcome you back into regular life um, with me. <laughs> um, what, what do you want to play from the last night, Brian? Yeah, I was thinking, um, you know, I've talked a lot about, just feeling really grateful and feeling um, just really uh, just just happy to have, have experienced this and just filled with like a lot of love after experiencing all this. So I think the jam that best encapsulates that feeling from last night was the um, uh, sense and subtle sound. The, the the peak that it got to was just another moment of celebration. And I felt like they left it all on the field, you know, at that point in time. So I think that would be a great way to send people off um, here into the next two months of uh, No Fish before the New Year's run. Yeah, right, let's do it. And um, thanks, Brian, for 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 joining us. And I know you guys from on Beyond the Pond will be exploring a jam or two from uh, from the last several shows. So people should look out for that probably in the next week or so, right? Yeah, well, we're going to try to get it out uh, towards the end of this week. Um, we've already been kind of texting and have a couple ideas cooking up. And um, there's uh, we are, we are not at um, any sort of like a you know. We, we have a lot to choose from, as I guess what I should say. There's <laughs> almost too much to choose from. I right. feel like we should end episodes on this, but <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll be uh, we'll be releasing it shortly. Cool. All right. We'll keep up the good work, and thanks for thanks for joining. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on. This is great.
Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. <laughs> 